thank you for that. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Ah, you've heard me say this before probably, but I, it, it is still true. Todd, Todd Hall took me um, to see Jethro Tull very recently, like a month or a month and a half ago. And I've used this song before in sermons, and I still, it, but it was very important to me growing up, um, uh, skating away on the thin ice of, new, of, of the new day. Um, it was significant to me. It, it, I felt it. I, I felt, I, like, there were certain songs or certain albums that really touched me growing up, uh, maybe in wrong ways too, like, Pink Floyd's The Wall was really powerful for me. Um, things like that. But, um, but in this song it says, and as you cross the wilderness, it's called skating away on the thin ice of the new day. So get that image in your mind, right? You're skating across thin ice. <laughs> and, uh, and as you cross the wilderness, a spinning in your emptiness. Don't you always sometimes feel empty, right? Spinning in your emptiness, you feel you have to pray. It's your last resort. Looking for a sign that the universal mind, God in my case, has written you into the passion play. The whole history of mankind and God and creation. Well, do you ever get the feeling that the story is too damn real and in the present tense? Like it's just what's happening now and that's it. Or that everybody's on the stage and it seems like you're the only person sitting in the audience, that you don't get to participate. As a young man at growing up, I felt that I was always skating on thin ice. Maybe that's because I was with my parents quite often, <laughs> right? Always getting in trouble. Life felt very uncertain to me. I was a philosophic-minded child, right? Uh, there was a little assurance in my heart. And I think God let me feel that. I think he... He made me ecclesiastical. He wanted me to pursue him. I was always, because I was always on this spiritual journey, I was always wondering about God. I was always wondering what real purpose and meaning in life was. Uh, was I in the play? Or was I just a spectator? Was I important or not? Right? And so we've been going through this 6-8 at 6-8 series uh, about our core statements as a church and we've just we've gone through our purpose statement, which is to follow Jesus, and we've gone through our vision statement last week to live as Jesus did. Um, by the way, if you're new to our church and you weren't here for those, go back and listen to them. They are important sermons to understand what six eight is about. But today we and could somebody grab bottles of water back there? Thank you. Today we want to look at our mission statement, uh, which is to be the hands, feet, and voice of Jesus on the Eastern Main Line and beyond, like out into the world. Some of our thanks, um, stuff out in the world that we're involved with later. Uh, in other words, in short, it is to manifest Jesus, right? Um, to manifest Jesus. And these aren't statements that stand alone, dependent on one another. Wow, this thing's really cutting out, isn't it? They are interdependent of one another. They feed off of one another. They, they, they are tied together, right? Um, but let me say this clearly, and remember this today, that you, are, you don't need to sit in the audience of the stage of life, right? God's written you into the Passion Play. We just did that sermon series, Everybody Gets to Play. You, God is inviting you into the Passion Play. You're not skating on thin ice. You are on solid, solid, solid ground in Jesus. 
right? You really are. And you can be who you were meant to be in Christ, although that may look not like what you expect that I've told you before. Growing up, I thought I was going to be a hitman for the mob. You know, I could never be made because I'm not Italian, but I could shoot a gun, right? I figured that's what I would do. The pay is probably pretty good and, you know, make your own hours, right? Um, but that's, not, that's what I expected in life. I thought either that or I was going to own a bar, just be drunk all the time or whatever, right? God had different plans, obviously. But you can be what you were, you were meant to be in Christ, although it may not be what you expected, right? It's a greater adventure, actually, that he has for you. And so when we talk about manifesting Jesus, of, of being his hands and feet and voice in this world, we are speaking in kingdom of God terms, right? Kingdom terms. The kingdom of God is a dynamic reality it is now present in this world there's something going on god is god's sovereign rule breaking in over all of creation in which you and i can participate in and it includes the active role of the spirit and the word of god addressing all the social and spiritual ills of our world of our time all the things that you get upset about on the news god's kingdom is addressing that may not feel like it sometimes, but it is. And it acknowledges the tension. Remember that word tension this morning. The tension of the spiritual battle that we live in. Because we do live in a tension of a spiritual battle. As well as our own personal salvation, our own spiritual formation. The kingdom of God addresses all of that. And God's rule embraces all aspects of life. Spiritual and You can't separate the two. It is a holistic biblical reality that goes beyond just personal salvation. Since when when we as God's children begin to practice and begin to be involved and begin to manifest Jesus, manifest His kingdom... We, we do manifest the kingdom. We become a, a, a participate in that. We, we participate in ushering in his healing power and confronting things that we can't even understand and see. Did you ever play uh, a game like Monopoly with a hot-headed kid, a child? Right? And, and halfway through the game, the kid realizes that they've lost, even though the game's not over. Right? What do they do? They get mad and they overturn the game. They throw it in the air. You know, they get all upset. They know the game isn't finished, but it is over, <laughs> right? It's, you know, you've monopolized the board. You, now you're just slowly bleeding their, their little lives dry as they go round and round, as you slowly take away all their property, methodically crushing their little hopes. As you take away every Monopoly dollar one at a time. See, competition is only fun when you're on the winning side of an uneven matched game. Like, you know what I mean? And, and let's be honest, it's why we have children. To make ourselves feel better. To, to, to conquer something. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That's, not, that's why Vinny had kids, but not me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> God's kingdom come, but not fully come. That's what we talk about uh, in the vineyard quite a bit. 
right? Playing Monopoly with a child, that's what it is, right? The game's won, the whole, the whole war is won, but, but Satan's, and Satan's been defeated, but it's not over. He's not fully yet destroyed. He's still active out there. Faith is living in the tension, there's that word again, tension of what has already come, but will be fully established in the future. God's kingdom will be fully established. And that explains to us, very clearly it explains to us why all who are evangelized aren't converted. Or why some of the sick that we pray for aren't always healed. Or why some are healed but they still get sick and die later. Right? Lazarus died after we rose him from the dead. Right? It explains our triumph in Christ and our continued struggle in the faith. If we break that tension, right? If we break that tension, because we're uncomfortable with tension. We don't like to live in tension. We like to have our answers. We like to have things settled. But the Christian can't break that tension. If we break that tension, we're left with only two options. The first of all is that God doesn't work miracles today, and that's the position of the cessationist in the world where we say that all the gifts of the Spirit, all the, or all the miracles and all the healings and all that stuff, they stopped after the apostles. I see no proof of that in the Scriptures. And I really think it's a damaging outlook on the kingdom of God. Uh, or we have on the other extreme that God always works miracles. It just matters that we have enough faith to see that it happened. So it puts all the onus on me to make me do it right. And that's the prosperity gospel. We don't preach that here either. Remember, Jesus, I believe Jesus always seems to be in the middle of extremes. He really does. He really does. We like to go to the extremes because it makes us feel more comfortable for some strange reason. In Matthew chapters 10, 7 through 8, Jesus urged his disciples, he said, As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely you have received, freely give. And Paul knows in 1 Corinthians 15, the end will come when he, Jesus, hands over the kingdom of God to the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. So there is a spiritual world out there that Christ is doing battle against right now. We are to live in this already not yet tension of the kingdom of God, which Paul lived in. Furthering the work of Jesus. Right? Furthering the work of Jesus, manifesting Jesus to the world around us, to our neighbors right here, right now. Paul said, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh, in my bodily life. Right? I am I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. So victory is won. Victory is won. Yet the game still continues. Paul's not saying that Jesus' work on the cross wasn't enough for mankind. It was. That was sufficient. He is saying Jesus frees us to participate in ushering in God's kingdom to the world, to all the people right around us right now. 
There's still work to do. And it's a Luke 4.18 kind of a work that, in which the good news is preached to the poor. It's got truth about it, right? Prisoners are set free. The blind receive sight and the oppressed are released. It's got social aspects to it, social justice aspects to it. You know, a friend of mine attended a very small church growing up which uh, only focused on the spiritual aspects of life, like evangelism and conversion and sanctification. Sanctification meaning that process of being changed into Christ's likeness. Uh, prayer, spiritual disciplines, things like that. Um, the church had classes all the time on things like evangelism. But never anything was said about the poor or social justice or the available power of the Holy Spirit. None of that was ever addressed in that church. Then they went to a school, a certain school. I won't name the school. Uh, it was a Christian school where they found themselves in classes all the time on poverty and social justice and things like that, but never, never, never a class on evangelism or spiritual formation. And it was a sort of a liberal sort of social gospel kind of uh, teaching, right? Now, let me say clearly, both of those, the church and that school, both had aspects of the kingdom of God expressed in their theology, but both were incomplete. Both were incomplete. And 6-8 wants to walk away from this tendency of the Christian towards a selective obedience. A selective obedience focusing on one extreme or the other. We don't want to be a lopsided Christian. Right? We want to have all four wheels on our car, not running on three wheels. Right? You know, manifesting Jesus lies in the middle in balance and completeness. It always does, it seems like. And we can see this selective obedience of going to spiritual extremes in, in, uh, happening in various places in the world and situations in the world. And it happened very clearly uh, with the churches involved in apartheid in South Africa. And uh, Derek Morphew, a vineyard sort of scholar guy, uh, says this. He says, apartheid completely divided the witness of the church. Churches associated with the South African Council of Churches almost succumbed to this neo-Marxist ideology in their swing towards the social gospel or this liberal theology. The evangelical, Pentecostal, and charismatic churches refused to confront the system and withdrew into an inner spirituality. So they retreated, right? Eventually, the Rustenburg Confession became a cathartic moment, cathartic meaning like a freeing moment, where the whole church, left and right, repudiated the system. They confessed their sin, right? They confessed their own sin, and they committed themselves against the ideology and its sociopolitical agenda. Kingdom theology, in other words, coming, uh, coming together under a broad umbrella of a kingdom theology, proved to be a wonderful source of sanity in a turbulent time. In other words, they came back to the radical middle, to be the true hands, feet, and voice of Jesus in South Africa and healing occurred, right? Martin Luther King, you've heard this quote before, but I'll quote it again and I'll probably quote it farther in the future. Time itself is neutral. It can be used either destructively or constructively. 
more and more, I feel the people of ill will have used the time much more effectively than, the, than have the people of good will. We will have to repent in this generation, not merely for the hateful words and actions of the bad people, but for the appalling silence of the good people. Human progress never rolls in on the wheels of inevitability. It comes through the tireless efforts of men and women willing to be co-workers with God. And without this hard work, time itself becomes an ally of the forces of social stagnation. We must use time creatively in the knowledge that the time is always ripe to do right. Right? Ripe, right. Right? Now, he was obviously addressing racism. We know that. But the sentiment is really applicable across the board, right? Time is always ripe to do right or to do the kingdom of God as Christians. To be the hands and feet and voice of Jesus wherever you are right now. The kingdom of God isn't simply about having Jesus in your heart, right? It's it's not just having his lordship within you. That's a popular definition based on Luke 17, 21. Neither is the kingdom of God merely about the up there place in the heavens, disconnected from our physical reality. That is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is an event. It is an event which can be manifest right now. It it is about God coming in the moment when the powers of this coming age break into the presence in Jesus. Seeing Jesus do something right now, right here. Jesus is the personified focus of this kingdom event. He is at the center of it all. He ushers in the kingdom. He demonstrated its power. And he enacted the kingdom through his death, through his resurrection, and through his rising from the grave. His, or his rising from the grave, and then his ascension. He invites us as the family of God, as the children of God, to participate in this kingdom power of life. And Jesus rejects the extremes. I really believe so. He he rejects the extremes and the separation of personal social ethics. He he rejects the extremes. Physical and spiritual realm, right? So when John the Baptist sent his delegation, if you remember in that story, wondering if Jesus was the one, How did Jesus respond? He responded with the language of Isaiah. He said, go back and report to John what you hear and see, and I'll add, right now, here, in this moment, right now. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who, or woman, who does not fall away on account of me. Matthew chapter 11. The kingdom had broken in to this physical and social reality. Into life. By the way, it is frightening to live truly kingdom lives. It means that I actually have to rely on the Lord. I can't rely on my intellect. can't rely on my wonderful good looks. Not me. Vinny, yeah, amen, can't rely on that, Jason. Don't even try, no. Uh, 
It means I have to rely, I have to practice reliance on the Lord. It means I have to live in that tension and become comfortable with it. It means that I have to take a risk with the Holy Spirit with other people. It means an overturning of my worldview. It means seeing the world differently, right? I was talking to somebody this week that was saying that, you know, they... They are just like out there in the world. They have so many temptations that are so strong in them. And I said, you know what? It won't always be that way. As, God, as you get closer to Jesus, you, you know, you walk in the Spirit, that, your outlook will change. You'll start to not to see those things and you'll start to see the world differently. You think that you're seeing correctly all the time. That's a sign that you need to get, get with Jesus, Right? As you get closer to Jesus, you start to see more. You start to see beauty. You start to see color. You start to see wonder. And you also start to see pain and the, the, the hellish nature of some things in the world. And you come against those things. But temptations seem to shrink away as the power of the Spirit comes into your life more strongly. Jesus says, don't fall away on account of me. Right? Because the kingdom affects our lives, right? It affects our relationships. It affects our world. And it invites us into healing. It invites us to break free. And it invites us into transformation, not only internally in ourselves, but in our relationships with each other. By the way, I think that's happening here at 6-8. That was wonderful worship this morning. And I expect the same after I'm done speaking. No, I'm just kidding. It was. Something's happening here at 6-8. Something is happening. The Spirit of God is moving. You know, it's funny. People come to church and they visit us. And some people come from a very traditional background. And they don't, they don't like the loud music and stuff. And they always walk out here and they say, you know what? I, I, don't, I don't like that you have dreadlocks. <laughs> I don't like that the, you have know, your electric guitars and it's loud. But man, the Spirit of God is there. That is a great compliment. Because people usually get stuck on the forms, don't they? But when they can look past the forms and see that there's actually something going on, that's a powerful witness. Now remember, uh, Ron Sider said, and if you, wanna, if you ever looked at Ron Sider and thought there's a social activist in the world, you would think Ron Sider is one. Ron Sider said, we are not social activists. We are followers of Jesus. We are not social activists. We are followers of Jesus. I, my message, how I, how I want to change the world is very different than how the world, the world wants to change the world. It's extremely different. And by the way, you don't understand how different it is yet. I don't understand how different it is yet. I'm still growing in that. We're not social activists. We are followers of Jesus. We are God's people. We are different. We are set apart. Right? We're set apart, but we're not separate. We live among people, and we want to invite them in to understand Jesus and see this kingdom of God manifest among them. So to, know, to follow Jesus means to reject this false spirituality, which doesn't account for like, uh, the reign of God breaking into all areas of life, every area of life. Right? To embrace not only the idea of personal salvation and, and uh, for the believer of, of sanctification, of transformation, and of personal holiness, 
and all that stuff, but also the holistic thought of the Beatitudes as a way of life, of combating injustice in the world, of loving our environment and caring for the poor. We are Christians. We love life. We love the world. We love what God has created. We love people. It's God's kingdom come now, right? As a very real thing. It's finishing the monopoly game even when Satan tries to overturn the the board, right? It's looking past all your own junk and your own stuff and starting to minister in the power of the Holy Spirit right around you in real and very practical ways with people. Some of you are coming to me, and I've said, I've said this before, you're coming to me with stories about how you have witnessed to people, how you have prayed over people. God bless you. Keep doing it. Keep practicing it. Even if it's so freaking embarrassing, you don't know what to do with yourself. If, even if your palms are sweating and you've got big, like, wet spots under your arms, do it. <laughs> do it. Amen. Right? Do it. <laughs> It's partnering with God in this divine mission, the Missio Dei, right? It is the restoration of God's rule over all creation because that's really what everybody in the world wants. They want peace. And that is God's kingdom. They want healing. They want love. They want stability. And that's what God's kingdom brings. It's paying attention to what you say you pay attention to. It's, it's paying t- attention to those right in front of you. It's, it's not just saying, oh, I'll pray for you, but it's actually praying for you, <laughs> right? It's not just going to church. It's being the church wherever you are at any time. It's not just saying, I follow Jesus, but actually following Jesus into obedience, listening, Allowing not your culture to define your morality, but His Word, even in your sexuality. Even in how you choose what you do with your money. Oh, don't go there, Jason. No, God is the God of your money. It's allowing Him to lead you into places you may not want to go internally and even out into the world. Matthew 12, 28 through 29, reveals some essential qualities of this, of manifesting this kingdom, manifesting Jesus to the world. It says, but if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Let me say that twice. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, does your theology include the the demonic? If I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he has first tied up the strong man? Then he can rob his house. Jesus is in the process of tying up the strong man and raiding his house. There are six dimensions of the kingdom of God in these two verses. Firstly, we see God as ruler and rescuer. Ruler and rescue. Before God can rule, he's got to rescue. Right? Satan must be deposed. He must be put off. The expulsion of demonic forces, the binding of Satan, are all signs that the kingdom of God is broken in via the person of Jesus Christ, via the power of Christ. Satan's defeated at the cross, Colossians 2.15, and forever destroyed at the second coming of Christ, Revelations 19 and 20. That is true. 
There are present and future dimensions of, of, of the kingdom. Matthew 12 reveals to us that there are present aspects of the kingdom shown right now. Right, Demonic powers are driven back. Bruce Latchell over, over at the Barn Vineyard talks about, you know, it, like he's my prayer guy. He's my go-to prayer guy, right? Also Rachel, obviously. But um, he is, he's been a great help to me. And he will say, you know, you, you've got to address the demonic. You've got to address the spiritual powers before you go. Like when you're doing ministry over someone, you have to pray against those things or you're, you're not going to get very far. You've got to like go into it. Um, my new prayer guy is sitting right there with the white shirt on, Craig Snow, prayed over me, uh, restoring the foundations, kind of prayed over me and really uh, blessed my life. Um, but these are things that are like, really important to grow in. And I, I would venture to guess we're not all there yet, right? Well, none of us are. I'm not, right? Um, so demonic powers are driven back. Uh, scripture drives us to the understanding that there's a fulfillment of the kingdom of God coming in the future, right? Therefore, we can experience, we can experience the kingdom of God now, right now in the midst of our tension and in the midst of suffering, in the middle of the battle that we're engaged in while holding on to hope for the future. The, the Christian is always hopeful for what's going to happen in the future, right? And lastly, there are physical and spiritual dimensions to this whole thing. When Satan's deposed and sin's dealt with, sickness is often cured. I've seen people healed. I've, I've, I've had healing in my life occur, physical healing. Um, and later I'm going to ask Craig, uh, Pastor Craig to come up and uh, story about him. Uh, I think that'll be really, really cool to hear. But Jesus and his followers advanced the kingdom of God by pushing back the kingdom of Satan, both physically and spiritually, since we uh, can't separate the physical life from the spiritual life. There's no Weird dichotomy. That's not doesn't happen like that. Most evangelicals talk a lot about their personal savior, both being saved and being born again and all that stuff. But they skip over this kingdom of God stuff, which is the overriding theme of the scriptures. Rather than talking, rather than talking more of the rule of God, our emphasis tends to be on the reconciliation with God. It is biblical, but it is incomplete. Everything Jesus did centered on the kingdom of God. The kingdom was the subject of his sermons, the point of his parables, and the meaning of his miracles. The kingdom of God. Our emphasis has been on the relational dimensions of the kingdom. We stress our personal relationship with God. That's good. Forgiveness, that's good. We, we stress fellowship with him, that's good. Which is, it's all good. It's all soundly biblical stuff. It is just incomplete. It's not fully there. Jesus not only came to save me and you, but also to destroy the works of Satan. To destroy them. Jesus has defeated Satan. You know, the whole war is won. And he's ushered in the kingdom into our physical reality, which allows us to view life through a holistic lens of giving us the the tools to do battle in the midst of our current tension. Amen. Amen. This means we can't deny the presence of evil. We can't deny the presence of Satan in the world. 
We can't deny that. In doing so, if we do that, we hamstring our faith. We can't go anywhere with it. Spirituality loses all power given what we deny the very spiritual powers of darkness in the world which Scripture calls us to struggle against. If I don't believe in them, my faith is kind of worthless. This also comes out in, in, in sort of this in moral ways when we believe that we can define our morality and not God defining our morality, right? Scripture isn't anti-intellectual. It's not. But there is a guard against the debilitating pride of intellectualism, right? Since in it, the spiritual life becomes just a mere psychology. It becomes like any other self-help thing out there in the world, all about our own intellect and our own effort to cure our faulty heart, which Scripture clearly says is an impossibility. There are things that I can't do. I need Romans 12, where I am transformed by the, by, by the Spirit of God, by the Word of God. I can't transform myself. It's not like 21 days to make a habit. It doesn't work. I need God's power. I need the, 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 the power of, of Jesus. I need the power of the Spirit in my life. And the reality of evil and sin also allow us to see ourselves and to see others through the eyes of Christ. Right? People no longer are intrinsically evil in our sight. When we disagree with them, we get mad at them, whatever. Our anger's you know, no longer misdirected at them since when we see them as prisoners of sin nature and victims of evil which exploits that sin nature in them. Like puppets on a string, right? And all of that leads them away from God, leads them away from freedom, leads them away from life, leads them away from healthy community which is expressing or trying to express the kingdom of God in its midst. So, firstly, we, we, pre, we must preach the good news that Jesus came to destroy the works of Satan. It is a truth encounter, right? We speak truth into these situations, right? Uh, we've got lists of verses that help you do that, to memorize verses, to be familiar with them, to know truth, and to speak that truth with people. Um, secondly, we have to confront the powers through prayer and healing. That is a power encounter. And Craig is going to uh, talk about that in a minute. Uh, we, we model the values of the kingdom through moral encounters, right? So I follow, I allow God to define my morality. How I treat my wife, how I treat other people, how I speak to you is a big deal. Do I secretly watch porn? Or do I, you know, actually practice personal holiness in my private life? Makes a difference in my ministry to you. I allow God to define my morality and I, I exemplify that to the world and how I live my life. That's a big deal. And then fourthly, we express the reality of the king through culturally relevant rituals. We, we have cultural encounters. That's this service. We try to be culturally relevant at 6-8. We don't try to make it such high church that nobody understands anything, language that nobody understands. If we use big language, we try to define it because we realize people haven't grown up in church. We, our cultural encounters include our kingdom opportunities out there with our kingdom partners. As our, par, our, as our Bible studies, our community groups go out and they, they, they connect with people. Those are cultural encounters. So all this is important. Manifesting Jesus 
calls us to engage in issues of poverty and of aid and of social justice and of combating human trafficking, all the sexy, popular issues, all the cool issues, right? Yet in that, the temptation is to forget that God calls us to live this out in our personal walks and with our neighbors, those right around us. To engage them four-dimensionally like we talked about last week. Intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, and behaviorally. To have a powerful healing and prayer ministry towards people. That's why Rachel is doing all the work she can to grow that ministry. Because it's really the ministry that oversees all of our church. To see the, the, the kingdom of God break into our reality, realizing that there are forces at work out there that we cannot understand, that we, we need the power of the Spirit to address. Remember, none of us will do ministry there someplace far away if we're not doing it right here. You're not going to do ministry, you know, it, it's not getting more training. It's actually doing what you already know to do. And, and it's, like, it's like, here, swim throwing you out in the ocean, right? It's like, just paddle, man. You're going to do it. And you can, right? You are the hands and feet and voice of Jesus right here, right now. You are God's plan A. And he believes in you because he's working in you, right? There should be a healthy humility and balance between understanding our personal salvation and our sanctification process as well as engaging in the issues that are on God's heart. Not one of these things takes priority over the other. They are practiced in the radical middle of mature balance and completeness. So what does it mean to manifest Jesus? It's simple, it's practical, and it's very scary until you get used to being scared. We watched with Chuck and Christy the other night, the guy that saw El Capitan. Freaking awesome movie. Kim and I were climbers when we were younger. We got fat and old, and now, um, but it was really cool. And one of the things he said is, I, I unlike other people, I don't like my scare, my fear scare me off. I power through this the fear. I I work through the problems until I get comfortable. He goes, so it's not like I'm getting more scared. I'm getting more comfortable with what scared me. That's exactly what we're saying here. Remember a few things today. One, Jesus is more than just your personal salvation. Uh, he invites you into kingdom ministry, four-dimensionally, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, and behaviorally. You can and should participate in the defeat of Satan and his works in the world right around you. Um, pay attention to what you say that you pay attention to. Have integrity in your walk, right? You're not just who you say you are. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. But nothing's really happening with that, Right? Who you are is intimately tied to what you do, who you, like what you, the choices you make and all that kind of stuff. So remember, as we've said in the past, listening plus following equals obedience. Listening plus following equals, equals obedience. It's Romans 15, 13. It's an overflow of your life, right? If you're filling yourself with junk, you're going to overflow junk. If you're filling yourself with Jesus, with the power of the Spirit, you're going to overflow that to the world. So fill yourself up, right? Uh, I don't know what number this is, but pray in the Spirit. The prayer in the, in, the, in the Holy Spirit is your ultimate power. That is your ultimate power, right? You can manifest Jesus 
by asking others that one simple question, can I pray for you right now? Even if you fumble through it, even if you, you feel like you screw it up, I guarantee you something's gone well, right? I guarantee you the Holy Spirit has moved if you will take the risk. Familiarity, familiarity, I can't say that word. Familiarity breeds contempt, doesn't it? You get so used to church life and it seems so rote and so commonplace. Avoid that. Pray that away. Be excited about what God is going to do and can do through you and in your church and in your community through the ministry of this church. Be excited about it, right? It's not just rote. And remember, there's always a freedom to make mistakes. It's all, you, you will screw this up. I screw it up all the time. I miss opportunities and I bungle opportunities. But you know what? Got to take the risk. There's freedom to make mistakes. I think the mature Christian becomes much more lighthearted. They become much more smiley. They become much more, they're, they're more able to laugh at themselves, right? So asking the others the question, can I pray for you right now, says to them that we believe God is active in our reality at this moment, that we don't live in this dualism of physical and spiritual worlds, right? That he is willing, he is able to break through with power to heal and to save and to help us right now. We partner with God in seeing his kingdom come now to heal, to defeat Satan, to save, to overthrow the works of evil in this world. And that is why Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Let me say that twice. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So like raindrops in a calm, on a calm lake, our, our circles of influence kind of emanate outward and they overlap with each other as we reach our Jerusalem. And then it emanates out to our Judea, right? And then, you know, as time goes on in, the process, in, in that process, God calls some people to go farther out, way out into the Samaria they, as foreign missionaries in cross-cultural ways, right? So every time you're in a conversation with somebody and they express some struggle or they express even some joy and you're happy for them, say to them, can I pray for you right now? And pray about it. Pray about it. Be encouraging. Let your words be filled with life. And do it on the, at that moment on the spot. And invite the Holy Spirit to come, right? The kingdom of God will break through. It's something will happen even if they say it, it didn't. Don't let them. Some people are just embarrassed that they've been touched. No, uh, no, nothing happened. They go home and say, "Look, oh my gosh, what, did, what just happened to me?" Right? Some people will come out. They, I've had people when I pray over them, they just go like this, and I'm like, "What's wrong? Do, do you do this stuff all the time? Like, is this how you feel all the time? That was amazing." Nobody's doing that, right? When do, when do we touch people like that, right? You'll be a part of something special if you take the risk. And our vision as a church will flourish as we co-labor with God, right? You're not in the audience. You are on the stage. God has written you into the passion play. He's got a part for you, right? You're not skating on thin ice. You are an absolute solid ground with Jesus,
You can, you can trust in the promises of Scripture. You can be who you were meant to be in Jesus if you start to co-labor with him. Grow into it. Because God is in an uneven matched game <clears throat> of monopoly with Satan. He really is. Satan's been defeated, and the game is moving towards his destruction, and it's moving towards the total and absolute fulfillment of, God, of God's kingdom. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask Craig to come up, and then we'll do uh, the prayer person prayer thing. Father, we thank you that you are King of kings and Lord of lords, that you are a, a blessing to us and to this world, that you usher in your kingdom, that you change our reality, that you change the way that we see things, that you change the way that we view the world, view people, and view ourselves. We praise you for your grace, your mercy, and your healing power. And we want to learn more and more from you. We want more of your spirit in our lives and in our church and in our community. We want to overflow like Romans fifteen thirteen, just overflow out uh, to the world around us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Why don't you come on up?